Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. focus on Yeshua's earthly ministry, the way he healed the sick, raised the dead, and taught people how to truly live out God's word. But believe it or not, Yeshua's ministry did not end when he ascended to heaven. In fact, we know for certain that our Messiah is still interceding on our behalf in the heavenly tabernacle. We hear about this heavenly tabernacle in the letter to the Hebrews, which was written years after Yeshua's ascension. This letter was written to Messianic Jews who were being persecuted for their faith. The writer wanted to assure them that not only were their sins already atoned by Yeshua's sacrifice, but that he also filled the office of high priest and is currently performing his priestly duties from heaven. This is a lot to take in, so we have invited back Dr. Rich Freeman, our resident expert on the book of Hebrews, to talk about how Yeshua fulfills the role of high priest. Dr. Freeman, welcome back to our hope. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. For those who are listening, I'm Nicole Vaca. I'm the co-producer of our Hope podcast, and I am filling in for our usual host, Abe Vasquez. Dr. Freeman, before we jump in, we just want to have a, uh, a little icebreaker. Last time you were on, we asked you what your favorite food is, so we're changing up this time. We wanted to ask you, is there a verse in the Bible that God has been using to encourage you during the season? Well, I've been spending a lot of time in Psalm 23 and Psalm 23 verse four, where David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Um, it's certainly a good description of what we're dealing with over these past uh, nine months or so where over 300,000 people in this country have died. And uh, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And yet the encouragement is not to be anxious, not to be afraid, because we have the reality that God is with us and is walking with us. And so that's been a real encouragement for me, uh, knowing the presence of God is always with me. And I, I would hope it would encourage all believers to, to dwell on that. Yeah, that's a very encouraging passage, Psalm 23. 
And uh, for those who are listening, we have a little Bible study on Psalm 23 at chosenpeople.com. Just search for Psalm 23. So, Dr. Freeman, in the earlier parts of the Torah, we see people like Abraham and Jacob offering sacrifices of their own before there was a priesthood. Why did God decide to establish the Levitical priesthood? Well, it's, it's interesting. It, it originally started where God uh, called out Israel as a nation and said that they were to be a nation of priests. In other words, every Israelite would be a priest. And then uh, from that and through Moses and Aaron, uh, God chose that line to be the, the line of the priesthood uh, from the tribe of Levi. And uh, the Levitical priesthood with the Mosaic Covenant uh, basically uh, serves uh, to minister to God in in, uh, what was the tabernacle, eventually the temple, but also uh, serves to uh, perform the sacrifices of the various animals that all, uh, the whole sacrificial system, all pointing to Jesus. So God used that Levitical priesthood and the Levitical sacrifices uh, to point everybody to what Jesus ultimately would fulfill. Awesome. And I love what you said, to minister to God. Um, We actually heard about that this morning during chapel. So the priesthood was to minister for the people, but also to minister to God. Yeah. I mean, they they were the ones who had the access to God and and, uh, uh, they had to be really careful on, on how they ministered to God and how seriously they took it. And I think sometimes believers don't quite take God seriously enough. We love God, but God loves us. God treats us like friends, but but we need to have that godly respect for who he is. And I think that was part of what the Levitical priesthood taught. Yeah. Yeah, reverence. Can you briefly share about what was in the earthly tabernacle? Well, in the book of Exodus, really the last half of the book of Exodus, it describes the tabernacle in detail. And Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, uh, emphasizes that this is something that is a picture of what's already in heaven. So what we have on earth is a picture of what's in heaven. And we'll talk a little about that later on. But what those passages in Exodus describe is an, uh, an inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, which was created by this veil that was suspended by four pillars. And the veil, you know, we hear the word veil and we typically think of a bridal veil that was very delicate. Yeah. And yet the veil wasn't, was nothing but delicate. It was about a, the width of a man's hand. It was made of a material that was like burlap. And it, it really served to keep God and people separated. And um, so, that was the Holy of Holies. The sanctuary itself contained the Ark of the Covenant, which contained uh, the tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. It contained the uh, Aaron's rod that budded. You know, we, we tend to think of the Ark of the Covenant from the Steven Spielberg movie, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it traveled with, with the Israelites for centuries uh, before ultimately it went missing. And so, there was, in addition to the Ark of the Covenant, there was the mercy seat, which had the cherubim, you know, those two uh, angels where the, their wings kind of connected. There was also on the south side of, of the tabernacle, 
the menorah, the, the golden lampstand, which had seven uh, candles, not, not nine like the Hanukkah menorah that we, we have uh, now as we're celebrating Hanukkah. There were only seven. Yeah. And uh, there was also a table that contained the showbread, which would, would be presented for the Sabbath. And so it was pretty intricate and the tabernacle existed from the time of Moses till the time of Solomon, which was about four centuries before the first temple was built. So it, it existed a lot of, for, for many years, and it was portable. It, it could be moved. It, it, you know, you think about something as intricate as, as the tabernacle in the wilderness, but it was intended to be portable uh, with, with the lesson that wherever the Israelites went, God went with them in the tabernacle. Yeah. And just for a moment, um, what you were saying about the veil, I think that adds even more to the significance of what happened when Yeshua, you know, was crucified, that the veil was torn. Very significant. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, pretty much the tabernacle was intended to, to be uh, God's dwelling place, but it was always very temporary. And, and David understood that and wanted to build a, a temple, uh, but God wouldn't let him because God said he was a man of blood. Uh, a man yeah. of war, and you know, it would be his son Solomon, whose name means peace, who would be the one to build the, uh, the temple. Yeah. So, what are some of the duties of the Levitical priesthood? Well, the Levitical priesthood really is interesting uh, in that Jacob's son Levi who was a third born, was one of the sons who uh, was involved in the murder of, of basically a whole group of people when, when their sister Dinah was, was assaulted and raped. And uh, Jacob, on his deathbed, pronounced the curse that uh, the tribe of Levi would never have uh, their own land. They, they would wander. And, uh, and Jacob meant it as a curse and in essence, the fulfillment of that prophecy was that the Levites didn't have their own tribal land, but they got something even more important. They got, wherever they went, they were serving God. And so every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. In other words, there was a, a line of priests who served within the, the tabernacle and eventually the temple. Uh, their primary role was for the sacrifices. So you would see a priest wearing a, a robe and the robe would be bloodstained because of the constant killing of animals uh, as a means as part of the Levitical uh, sacrifices. But they were also the ones who uh, led worship. Uh, they were singers, they were musicians. Uh, oh. They were there to serve God. And that was their role. That was the tribe's role to serve God and to serve the, the Israelites uh, as, the, as the line of priests. And so today, uh, a very common Jewish name, and in fact, the founder of our ministry had that name, was Cohen. And mm -hmm. the Hebrew Kohen uh, is the priest. So the Kohen Gadol is the high priest, and that all came from the line of Aaron and Moses. Wow. Oh, and I love what you said about the the robes of the priests. Like we often think that they just wore these pearly white, pristine garments all the time, but it's probably more like a butcher's, Absolutely. you know, out outfit. <laughs> yeah, and that's what they would have looked like. You know, you see a typical. I mean, we don't have the, you know, the old butcher stores 
like we had when I was a kid, but mm. uh, you'll see butchers who, who are, you know, chopping up the, uh, the meat and, and they got blood all over their, their, their white robe. And that would have been what the Le- Levitical priests would have looked like. Yeah. So uh, we know from our Yom Kippur episode that the high priest was only allowed into the Holy of Holies once a year. Uh, why did God put this limitation on who could be in his presence? Well, I, I think it really revolves around the, the issue of sin. And, you know, God cannot look upon sin. God abhors sin. Uh, you know, we think of John 3, 3 uh, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You could literally change that and say, for God so hated sin that he gave his only begotten son. And so God will not allow sin in his presence. And so when we say only on, on Yom Kippur, the, the high priest was allowed to go into the presence of God, that would be after literally days of sacrifices and ritual cleansings. So by the time the priest finished that, uh, he represented the people. And for that moment, at least, uh, he was cleansed of all sin. Now, even the, the, the word kippur is, means a covering. It wasn't a removal. It was a covering of sin. And so once they went through that all of that cleansing, then they were allowed to go into the veil and and minister within the veil. And, and you know, the story is that uh, the, the priest's robe for Yom Kippur had uh, bells, golden bells in the form of pomegranates on the hem. And so the people outside the veil would be able to hear the priest moving around. And as long as they heard the bells, they knew that he was still alive because just prior to, to the choosing of, of Aaron as the high priest, uh, Aaron's two sons, uh, had uh, gone into the presence of God without the proper rituals, and they were both struck dead. And they offered, the Bible says, strange fire, and it, nobody really knows what that means, but it, it probably means from a different uh, God worship, uh, you know, mm-hmm. worshiping another God. Uh, and so uh, they were struck dead, and, and there was that importance of only one would come into the presence of God only on the Day of Atonement, and for that one day, only that day, the Israelites understood they were in right relationship with God. And the next day, they would start the sacrificial system all over again with the Levites serving as priests to administer that. So it's, you know, it, it really shows God's abhorrence for sin and how seriously he takes it. And ultimately, the, the picture of the veil separating us from God really so shows how much uh, Jesus did for us when when he was crucified and paid the price for us since that veil was torn and we do have that access to God now we don't have to wait for one day of the year every day for us is the day of atonement because of what Jesus did My name is Nicole Vaca, and I'm one of the co-producers of Our Hope Podcast. We created Our Hope to be a window into the Messianic community, a place where we can discuss Israel and the Bible, and a resource for people who want to share their faith more effectively and compassionately with the Jewish community. 
If you are interested in supporting what we do, you can donate to Chosen People Ministries at chosenpeople.com donate. You can also support us by sharing this podcast on social media with your friends and family or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for your support and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. I have like a quick question about that. How did people understand forgiveness for their sins? You know, were they still able to pray at home or did they have to only go like to the temple to sacrifice? And how often would they offer sacrifices for their sins? Well, in in the sacrificial system, uh, it really talks about uh, two types of sins. Sins that you commit and you understand it's a sin. Those are the sins that were uh, basically uh, where, where sacrifices were, were necessary. Uh, and then there were the sins that you committed without knowing it. And those were sins that ultimately would be taken care of on the Day of Atonement. And so um, anytime an Israelite man, uh, as far as I can understand, it was only men that went to the temple uh, and perhaps women who didn't have a, a husband or a father would, would also go. Uh, so, I mean, ultimately, people, when they understood that a sin was committed, they knew that they needed to take care of it. And they knew that they were out of right relationship with God. And so they would have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, think of uh, people uh, on foot traveling days at a time. Uh, in very rough terrain, very dangerous terrain, going to 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 make a sacrifice in Jerusalem. They were only required during the course of the year uh, on Passover, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and uh, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. So those were the only requirements to go to Jerusalem. But if they wanted to make a sacrifice for sin and not wait to take care of that sin till Yom Kippur, uh, they would do it immediately. So... My sense is that there was uh, admonition to have a private prayer time with God, so they didn't. They would have that private prayer time with God, uh, but uh, the the temple was the place for the sacrificial system uh, to be administered in. So, just for clarity, because I've often wondered about this. Yeah. So, like, if I sinned five times in one month, and then at the end of the month, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Do I have to offer five sacrifices or does one sacrifice cover the five sins? Well, what would happen is you would uh, you would bring the animal to be sacrificed. Well, let's say it's a goat. And the priest would tell you to place your hand on the animal's head and then you would have to confess. So you would confess mm-hmm. those five sins and they would be placed on that animal as your atonement. Uh, then the priest would give you the knife to kill the animal, which a lot of people don't realize the priest doesn't do the killing. The one making the sin offering does the killing. And then the animal, unless it's a burnt offering, uh, would be roasted. And there would, there would be a communal meal between the one uh, making the sacrifice and the priest and their family. So it would be a whole ceremony. That's really powerful when you think about the fact that you had agency in killing the yeah. sacrifice. It was it was your sin that, that brought that animal to death. Yeah which is also a picture of what would happen with Messiah. Absolutely. 
So jumping into Messiah, Yeshua's role as our high priest, uh, we know from Hebrews that there is no more sacrifice for sin. So what does Yeshua do as our high priest? Well, I think the, the best way to describe it is to be is to think in terms of an advocate. Mm. You know, he's he's there at the right hand of the Father, advocating uh, for believers. And and there's you know there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on where where believers are under satanic attack uh, to to try to keep us from really serving the Lord properly. And it's Yeshua's role as high priest uh, that advocates for us and, and is really kind of protecting us, so to speak, from the, the attacks of, of the evil one who, who would try to keep us from serving the Lord for various reasons. Yeah. And so his main role as our high priest is as our advocate. You know, the, the, uh, the term advocate really is almost like a legal term, but it's, it's one who's testifying on our behalf. Yeah, so he's offering intercession for us. Yep, and he's praying for us, and he's there, um, in, us, in essence, ministering for us as our great high priest, who was the one who sacrificed. You know, that's the uh, conundrum, so to speak, is he's our priest, but he's also our sacrifice. Yeah. You know, the, the high priest, after making all the sacrifices in Yom Kippur, enters into God's presence by the blood of bulls and goats. And, you know, uh, that's the what the book of Hebrews writes about. Yet our high priest enters into the presence of God in the heavenly tabernacle, not by the, bull, the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood. It's a very powerful point that what Jesus' sacrifice did for us just totally removed our sin uh, and enables us to have that great high priest interceding for us. I know there's no other high priest that would sacrifice himself (laughs) for the people. And he couldn't. Yeah. No. So Hebrews 7 tells us that Yeshua is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? Well, I want to read just a brief passage from Hebrews 7. And it it says... uh, Abraham apportioned a tenth of all his spoils by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, because Melchizedek was called the King of Salem, which, which means uh, King of Peace. Uh, but his name itself, Melchizedek, is King of Righteousness. And uh, it's, it says in verse 3, he was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now, the only time we meet Melchizedek in the Hebrew Scriptures is in the book of Genesis. And then a Psalm, Psalm 110, writes about him. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, talks about him that he he's made like the Son of God. Now, to me, that means he sort of is what I would call a type of Christ. There are some Bible scholars who take an extreme view of that and say that Melchizedek was actually the Messiah in a pre-incarnate appearance. I don't go that far. I, I, yeah. I think it was he was just a type. But in essence, there's no beginning, there's no end. He always was, so to speak, the same way as Messiah has this eternality attached to him. Mm-hmm. Was Melchizedek a real person? 
seem it seems to be the fact that he was, but there's nothing about him to give his origins. So in that way, he's like the Son of God. And so Jesus' priesthood uh, is like the priesthood of Melchizedek uh, in the by the order of Melchizedek, in that he just he's different than the Levitical priest. I, I think it's important for us to realize that the Levitical priest, like the rest of us, were sinners who needed to have sin offerings. Melchizedek, mm-hmm. there's no indicator of that. And Jesus, as the sinless Messiah, doesn't need to make offerings for himself. He makes the offerings for us because he is the perfect spotless lamb of God. Yeah. Would you say then that it was perhaps God's intent that the Levitical priesthood would always be a temporary thing? Yes, for sure. And I think it was there as a means of going through the the Mosaic covenant that ultimately would be fulfilled uh, by what Yeshua did when he went to the cross, died for our sins, and then rose from the dead, conquering death for us. And so the Levitical priesthood uh, and the whole Levitical system of sacrifices and the law itself was all intended, as Paul says in Galatians, to be a schoolmaster, a tutor, to lead us uh, to Messiah, to show us that nobody can ever attain to the perfection required by God and God in his grace accepts these sacrifices uh, prior to the cross, uh, the Levitical sacrifices, but ultimately fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross and he died once for all. In other words, his was the final sacrifice. The interesting thing was God allowed the sacrificial system to continue for about 30 or so years prior to the destruction of the temple. Yeah almost as a means of of showing grace to allow people to kind of transition to the truth. And and while many did, until the temple was destroyed, that system continued. And then ultimately, the Levitical priesthood without the temple had to end, although there are still Levites and there are still Kohen that are part of a traditional synagogue service. So in that sense, it didn't end. Hmm. There's just no temple. Yeah, that's interesting. Are there people in Israel today who could like trace their lineage back to the Levites? Yeah, typically uh, Jewish surnames uh, like Levi or Levi or Levine or Leventhal, names like that that are pretty common uh, Jewish surnames would say that they would would be a uh, a Levite. You know, the the Jewish people typically divide themselves into three categories. The Kohanim, or the Kohanes, uh, are those with Jewish surnames like Cohen or Khan or names like that. Uh, and then the Levites. And then everybody else are called Israelites uh, mm. because the, the tribal uh, connections seem to uh, disappear, so to speak, primarily through the destruction of the temple. But it's always interesting, you know, I'll meet someone who says they've traced their lineage back to the tribe of Judah because everybody wants to be related to Jesus. <laughs> Nobody wants to be Zebulon. Yeah, or Naphtali. Oh, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So going back to Yeshua, and you've touched on this a little bit, you know, it's interesting that Yeshua is both the sacrifice for sin and the high priest. Yeah. What else makes Yeshua different from past high priests? Well, I, I think the... 
the temporary nature of the Levitical priesthood is, is vastly different uh, to the priesthood of, of Jesus in that his, his priesthood is permanent and eternal. Um, again, the, the priests had to uh, make sacrifices for their own sin. That's not something Jesus has to do. And uh, the, the fact that because of what Jesus did as our high priest, because of what he did as our sin offering, he has enabled us to have access to God on a regular basis so that we don't have to go uh, to another person, as some religions teach. We can go directly to God. We don't need to have someone intercede for us, you know, a saint or something like that. And I think what he accomplished for us and what he accomplishes for us on a daily basis enables us to have that wonderful relationship, that close personal relationship with God that we're able to do, uh, not on our own efforts, but because Jesus has done it all for us and continues to do it all for us. It's, a, it's an ongoing ministry that he has for us as our high priest. Amen. And that, uh, that segues perfectly into our last question. What does Yeshua's role as our high priest mean for those who believe in him? Well, you know, when you stop and think about the different blessings that we have as believers, having this great high priest enables us to have the boldness to serve God in a way that is worthy of who God is. And what I mean by that is we all come to God with our own baggage. You know, we're imperfect beings coming from imperfect parents who came from their imperfect parents, and we've all passed our own baggage on to one another. But when we come to God, we come to God uh, boldly, not, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And that enables us to be bold enough to pray to be bold enough to request, even to be bold enough to rest in Him and not to be afraid of something like a pandemic. Uh, as Jesus, as our high priest, enables us to live without fear, to live without anxiety. Not that, uh, yeah. you know, we, we should be, you know, hiding ourselves in the sand and not paying attention to what's around us, but we don't have to be afraid. Mm. And, uh, you know, even if, uh, we do, God forbid, catch COVID and, and end up passing away from it. Well, we're going to be with Jesus. And, yeah. and the fact that he's already accomplished that, that our eternity is taken care of, uh, enables us to live without fear. Not that we should take unnecessary chances. And I'm a firm believer that we should follow what the authorities say we should do in order to you know, mitigate catching the virus but we don't have to be afraid. And, and he enables us to really uh, come to him on a daily basis because of what he's already done for us. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Freeman, for joining us today and for sharing with us about the role that Yeshua plays as our high priest. It's a, it's a blessing to, to think about it. We know Yeshua is always with us, but understanding his role as our high priest gives us even more assurance that he is actively working in our lives. Furthermore, we now have direct access to God because of Yeshua's sacrifice, something that no other high priest could ever give us. 
We want to leave you with these verses from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Yeshua, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Our Hope Podcast. This episode was made possible by Dr. Rich Freeman, Abraham Vasquez, Grace Swee, Kyron Bautista, and Dr. Mitch Glazer. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out ourhopepodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. See you next time.